Scriptures. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to look at this second part to the message I was doing on baptism. I don't mean to beat this thing to death here or anything like that, but there's just so much information and stuff that I'd like to get across when I talk about baptism. Most people don't understand it that well. They don't understand the, the, the basis of it and, and what it means and all that. So I like to just, when I do preach on it, make sure I do explain some things about it. And so today we're going to start looking at the motive for baptism. We're going to look at Matthew 3, verse 13. Of course, this is where Jesus Christ is being baptized in the River Jordan. He came to John. Uh, you think he looked for the, the quickest place to get baptized, right? No, he walked some 60 miles to find this particular man at this particular spot. And this is where he was baptized. And so, uh, verse 13, it says, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? And Jesus answering and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And so we're talking about, uh, we're talking about letter A. Oh, you don't have your worksheets, sorry. Sometimes I do have worksheets for this lesson. I don't have it. But obedience to Christ. So simply just obedience. So one of the first uh, motives that you have to consider when you're moving forward for God is doing it just because Jesus wants you to do it. Uh, it shouldn't always be twisting your arm and you know trying to get to the ins and outs of every little thing. If you know the Lord wants you to do it, you should just do it, uh, even if you don't understand it that well. You know, and I remember one guy he got baptized. Uh, he was uh, with with my background in the Mennonite realm. We were always poured on or sprinkled and so forth, and he was poured on. Uh, when he was younger, and then he came to the preacher and he wanted to be baptized. And he says, why do you want to be baptized? His answer was simply this, because that's the way Jesus did it. <laughs> that's the way Jesus did it. And you know what? That type of simplicity is just exactly the kind of heart that you need within Christianity today. Just because that's the way Jesus did it, that's the way Jesus wants it, that's why I'm doing it. Set aside religion, set aside what this person says or that person says. Let's just do what Jesus asks us to do, you know. So in this passage, it's really just talking about Jesus saying, Suffered to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And so this is a right thing to do. We know that baptism doesn't have anything to do with you going to heaven. It's not going to save your soul. But what it is, it's your first step towards the right way in your life. The righteousness this is the first thing you're going to do to take that step towards serving the Lord. And we know that Jesus didn't need to be saved, uh, so that's not why he was baptized here. Of course, it was a sign that John was given that he was the Messiah as the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and, and uh, set upon him. But he also set the example that this is what we need to do. We need to, just, we need to start our life in righteousness by identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so Jesus did not do anything uh, any service until this point. He could have done a lot of things. He was old enough to do a lot of things. He was God. He could have started 10 years ago, but he didn't. He started after he was baptized. That's the first time he went up to people and says, hey, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. He didn't do that until he identified in believer's baptism in the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And I can just imagine what Jesus Christ felt like or what he was thinking as he was being baptized, because really what he's doing is he's, he's uh, picturing something that he himself is going to fulfill in just a few short years and dying upon the cross of Calvary. 
And so, uh, so he meant business here, and, and that's what he wants us to do, to identify in believers' baptism. It's an important thing, and you ought to want to do it just to be obedient to the Lord. Amen? Uh, the, first, the next thing is to identify with the gospel of Christ. Um, and that's where we know that the Bible mentions the gospel. And you ask somebody today on the street, what's the gospel? And they may come up with a whole bunch of ideas of what the gospel is. It's very simple. The word gospel just simply means good news. And, but the thing is, what is that good news? And people have a different uh, version of that. While we know in the scriptures it's been laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, Brother Friesen talked about this last Friday, um, Sunday morning, but it says, Moreover, brethren, I, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. So this gospel saves you. And so this good news, this message that we have, uh, it's, it, it's uh, something that you have received and something you're standing in, and it also saved you. It saved you. And then it goes on to say, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And that's a little caveat, a little quote within the, uh, within the presentation here, because sometimes there's people, they heard about what Jesus did, and they say they believe on him, but they never really trusted in him. Uh, believing on Christ in vain is you have it all up in your head, but you don't have it in your heart. You don't trust what he did for you on the cross of Calvary, yet you're not, you're not denying it. You're saying, oh yeah, that probably happened. Yep, that's, that's a good thing that he did. But it's another thing to say, I'm, I'm resting my complete soul and future upon what he did upon that cross. That's a true heart belief. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it's not with your head, it's with your heart. And so you can have, like I always said, you can have two levels of belief. You can have a belief in your mind, you can have a belief in your heart. And as much as you tell people, this is what I believe, what you really believe is what you do. And what you do is what you trust in your heart. <laughs> Amen. And that's the thing. What you talk about comes from your heart. Uh, and so many times we can fool people because we know the answers. We say, yeah, I know exactly what preachers wanted me to say when he asked me that question. Or my parents want me to say when they ask me that question. They're giving you an answer from their head. But it's a whole different thing when it comes from the heart. Amen. That's a different belief altogether. And so that's what it means to believe in vain. I just wanted to point that out. And then moving on, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So that, my friend, is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Those three elements are a part of the gospel. So when you're being baptized, those three elements you're identifying with. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's why we say, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. You can't do that if someone pours some water on your head. You can't do that when someone sprinkles water on your face. Uh, that is not baptism. Baptism is identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen? Uh, a believer should just wholeheartedly follow that. And, you know, the Bible says in Mark 16, 16, it says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You say, well, does that mean that baptism saves you? No, the gospel saves you. <laughs> Don't let these verses trip you up. Because what we do sometimes is we allow those, those little phrases to confuse us when we already know what the, the clear scripture says. So what we do is what we, we interpret the unclear passages of scripture with the clear passages. 
we don't interpret the clear passages with the unclear passages. Amen. So if when it says that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, it's true. Because a person that is saved does get baptized. Amen. And But it's not baptism that saves you because he goes on to say, but he that believeth not shall, not, shall, be, uh, shall be damned, it says. So what sends you to hell? Not believing. So when a person goes to hell, it's because they don't believe. But a Christian, because they, they believe the gospel, they believe what Jesus Christ did for them. And you know what? If you truly believe, you'll probably be baptized too. Unless for some reason you're, you know, providentially held from being able to do that, like being in Antarctica with no local church nearby. You know, you're going to heaven. It's not about your baptism, amen? But I'll tell you something. There's something wrong with a Christian that says they believe the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for them, and then they refuse to be baptized. There's something wrong with that type of belief, I think. Now, I can understand afraid. I, I remember I baptized one lady, and she was afraid. She wasn't just afraid of just being baptized. She was afraid of water. And I remember we baptized her in a pool. And I remember bringing her in, and, you know, she was, had enough courage to get into the pool and uh, buried in the likeness of a death, and all of a sudden, she was stiff as a board. <laughs> I'm just, uh, it was like putting on the brakes. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I tried once, and she wouldn't go underneath, and I tried again, and she wouldn't. And, and you know, finally, I just... <laughs> try to but you know she fought me and she didn't go all the way underneath and you know part of her face was and then she thought she was done and she cried and ah, and I said uh you know I'm sorry Florence you didn't go all the way underneath you need to be baptized and what a mean preacher <laughs> and I says but you know we can do this another time if you need to <laughs> work through your trauma here you know and uh, she says, no, I need to be baptized in Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so, so I said, all right, here we go. Buried the legs of death. And she let me put her under. She came up, <gasps> you know, but she went all the way under the water. Amen. And so I understand when people struggle with fears and phobias and whatever else. But folks, if, if there's nothing like that, and even, even if there is, there should be a heartfelt desire for you to identify with Christ in believer's baptism. That is not a shameful thing. That is something a Christian loves to do, wants to do, because of what Christ did for you on the cross of Calvary. Amen? All right, and so anyways, um, baptism is not a part of the gospel, and that's something we need to nail down. We see that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. The Apostle Paul is explaining his ministry, and this is what he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And so here he is, people are getting saved through his ministry, and he separates completely. He says, hey, I'm not here to baptize, I'm here to preach the gospel. And so he was an evangelist, he was someone that went in and preached the gospel and people were saved. And then he would have people there that would baptize them and that start the church and so forth. But he, he only baptized, I think in this passage here, only a couple of families that he had a part of their baptism. And so we know the, that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That was his message. He says, but Christ sent me not to baptize. So baptism isn't the fourth part of the gospel. Amen. And yet there's groups out there, they start teaching that baptism is a part of salvation. It absolutely is not. That, my friend, is a works-based salvation. There's two aspects to your relationship with God. Number one is salvation. That is vertical. That's this way. And then there's religion, which is horizontal this way. And so you need to discern in the scripture 
what it really is that you're involved with. Are you involved with the salvation aspect? Do you need to be saved? Or are you involved with the religion? Religion has to do with people. Religion has to do with my testimony to you, how I impact you, uh, how my testimony affects you. That's all religion. You know, pure religion is this, visiting the fatherless and the widows and keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. Amen. So basically, uh, you know, what happens is people, they try to mix up religion and salvation. They think somehow that the horizontal is going to bring me the vertical. Somehow my religion with people is going to kind of connect me to God. And that's not true because you've got nothing good to offer God. I don't care what you do. I don't care how great you think you are or how great you think your religion is. If you try to offer any of that up to God, he's going to look at that and say, I refuse it. I refuse it. Because the only thing that I will accept is what my son did on the cross of Calvary. That's what to me is a sweet smelling savor. I told you that three times when Christ was on earth, this is my son, hear ye him, for in him I am well pleased. I told you that over and over again, and yet you're coming to God and you're offering me your works, and your works have no value to me. The only works that he wants you to do are those things that are preordained. And the Bible says that, for by grace are you saved through faith, but that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. So salvation must come first. And now because we're saved, he flows through us that the works that we do are something that he has preordained for us to do. But it's prideful of us to somehow come down here and, and try to pull together all the good things that we can do and then go to God and say, here, can, would you accept me? He's not going to accept you. Your righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. You know, the righteousness you need is that imputed righteousness from Christ. The moment you receive Christ as your Savior, he says, now I will give you the righteousness you need to stand before the throne of God. Because without this, you will die. Without this, you go to hell. You need Christ's imputed righteousness. Amen? That's what it's all about. And so, very important we understand that the gospel is vertical, baptism is horizontal. Okay? Now, you're doing it because you love God, and everything you do is because you love God. And so you're doing it because you want to please God. But I'll tell you something, your baptism impacts people. What you do in this church impacts people. That's religion. The people tell me, I don't like religion. Well, I don't really mind it that much. But the problem is you've got a wrong view of it. Religion must flow from God. It's one direction. Starts in heaven, comes down to man. There's no backward flow here. There's nothing I'm bringing back to God. Everything comes from him. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So it comes from him down to man. And by the way, if you can lose your salvation, then you're playing this game again about your religion and offering it to God. Your salvation is secure in Christ because it's his righteousness that makes you fit to stand before God. Amen. Imputed to you the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. Amen. Isn't that good doctrine? I mean, that's good preaching, man. You ought to be screaming by now. All right. Anyways, let's move on. All right. So another motive is this is an outward testimony of an inward condition. So what you're doing in your baptism is you're actually expressing to people, this is what I am inside. <laughs> I've died to myself. 
and I'm a, I'm a new creature in Christ, and I've been resurrected. And you're giving them this testimony. Some people say, do I have to give a verbal testimony at my baptism? And I'm saying, well, you don't have to because basically your baptism is your testimony. That is the message they're supposed to hear this morning. And if they know what it means, they'll say amen, <laughs> you know. But it is an outward testimony of an inward condition. So you have to be saved before you get baptized. That's one thing. You say, well, I was saved before, but then I got saved, and so everything's great. No, it's not great, because you did not testify in that baptism of what happened inside of you. So you need to be baptized after you're saved, because it's a part of religion. You're not going backwards here. You're saved, and then it flows this way. Amen? And so out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. It comes from heaven down to man. Amen? So everything we do is a result of that. So then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so those people that put Christ on the cross of Calvary, they gladly received the message that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They, they accepted that finally. Yes, we're the ones that put him there. We said crucify him. We are wrong. We want to, we want to get this right. What shall we do, Peter? He says, repent. <laughs> And be baptized for the remission of sins. Does that mean my baptism is going to remit my sins? No, because the word for can be used in more than one way. You can either be wanted for murder because I want you to kill somebody for me, or you're wanted for murder because of a murder you've already committed. Amen? So it says that you'd be baptized for the remission of sins. You're baptized because of the sins that have already been remitted when you receive Christ as your Savior. It's a picture of your, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Amen? Amen. And so uh, I'm going to move on here real quick. Like I don't want to take a lot of your time. I hope not. I shouldn't say that. That's usually when I preach too long. Amen? <laughs> I'll move way forward here. Now, now, a commitment to moving forward in faith as well. And this is something you don't hear a lot about today when people are talking about baptism, but I think it's important. In relation to our text, we look at, looked at how Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized by John in that particular place. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. The first one is John himself. Uh, if you read John chapter 1, it talks about how that, uh, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he was sent to bear witness of that light. So God had his authority on John the Baptist to do exactly what John the Baptist did. And so you need to understand this. As we go forward, not just any old organization or movement, you ought to be jumping into it and, and accepting that baptism as authoritative. Jesus could have gone anywhere. He could have jumped in the tub. He could have gone in the Jordan further up north. He wouldn't have had to walk so far. Could have got anybody to just throw him in the water, but that's not what he did. He went to a certain man. Now, we know that that man was also given information about how that this sign was going to happen that was going to actually verify that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The Holy Spirit would descend like a dove and rest upon him. And that's how John the Baptist knew this is the Messiah. And he began to point his disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I must decrease, but he must increase. Amen. And so he was willing to, to die off and let Jesus Christ be exalted in that particular time. And so, so there's a reason. There, there was a man, but there was also a place. Why was John baptizing in that place? He could have been baptized anywhere. Did he just pick any old spot along the Jordan? Now, it's different today. I, I, we were in the Jordan, and of course, we were driving along there when we were in Israel, 
and much of the Jordan is dried up. Now, the reason is over the centuries, people have been tapping into the Jordan to feed their villages and their fields and so forth. By the time it gets to the Dead Sea, it's basically just not there. It's gone. And, you know, so it's even like when you go to baptize in the Jordan, you're not really going to the Jordan River itself. Like you would picture that river flowing you know, all the way down to the Dead Sea. It's actually just a portion coming off of the Sea of Galilee. If there's enough water, you can still baptize in the Jordan, all right? But it's right at the mouth, right at the, the, the outlet there at the Sea of Galilee, and that's where we would baptize. And so, so a lot has changed there, but at this particular time, the, bap, the Jordan was, had lots of water. In fact, he did go there because there was much water there, but that was not the only reason he went there. That place was called Bethabara. Now, that is the identical place that centuries before that Israel crossed over when they went into the promised land. And so that is not just a mistake. Jesus walked all those miles because it was the right man, but it's also the right location. And the right location was that exact spot, Bethabara, the crossing place. And that's what it means, the place of crossing. And remember when they set their foot into the Jordan and the waters parted and then they put the stones at the bottom. They took 12 stones out of the Jordan. They brought them to Gilgal as a memorial to the children after them. See, that was important to understand. See, so Jesus knew that this, this is an important place here. And I'm going to explain what that means. Israel crossed at this spot when they surrendered to live by faith after wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. You think about this. 40 years, why were they in that wilderness for 40 years? Because the first opportunity they had to go into the promised land, they failed to do it. Now, why was that? What was the problem there? Oh, well, the giants were too big. We have to wait for them to shrink. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, compare those giants to their God. <clears throat> you know what they said? They said, we are but grasshoppers in their sight. So what, what did they mean by that? They were comparing the giant to them. But then there were two men, Caleb and Joshua. They didn't do that. What did he say? What did, jo what did Caleb say when, when he got confronted with that question? He says, well, let us go at once, for we are well able to overcome. Now, what's the difference between Caleb and the rest of these ten spies and the people that believe them? Well, it was the fact that Caleb measured those giants against his God and said, yeah, poor giants. Feel sorry for them. They're going to get whooped real bad. You know, <clears throat> the 10 spies, they looked at the giants and they measured it against themselves. Oh, no, we're going to get whooped real bad. So we're not going in. And of course, majority ruled. Amen. And so what was the problem here? Faith. Faith. That's the problem, usually what it is. You know, you got the giants in front of you, you measure them against you or against God, and that's how you go forward in the Christian life. When a person gets baptized, what you're doing is this. You're saying, I want to live a life of faith. Now, you're not going to do it perfectly, and you're going to mess up. I'm sure you will, as I have and as everybody else has since the beginning of uh, Christianity. But the fact of the matter is this. You've made a decision on that day that I'm crossing over. I'm crossing over. <clears throat> and that's what they had to do. You know, 40 years later, <clears throat> God gave them another chance. Okay, let's go try this again. They made sure 
that they were right where they needed to be at the right time. They brought that Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. The priest stepped in. There was no humming and hawing about it. There was no, oh, I don't know if we can do this. Uh, let's go in and check it out again. Nope. They said, we're going in. Because they had 40 years. And you know what? They had 40 years with a couple of guys. You know who they were? Joshua and Caleb. All their parents have died in the wilderness. You know, how they, you know who they had left? The one that was comparing the giants to God. And so this is the man that was left teaching the kids. These were the people that were there that finally says, okay, guys, enough of this nonsense. You see what happened to your parents? <coughs> That's going to happen to you if you don't believe by faith that we can go into that land. Amen? And that's why, by, excuse me, <coughs> somebody gave me a uh, sore throat. I don't know who to blame yet. I'll blame my son. And, uh, <coughs> and so, uh, Caleb, that's why when he first got into land, what he said, now he's 80 years old, he was 40 when they first were going to cross, and he was ready to go then. The next 40 years he spent in the wilderness, not because of the lack of his faith, because of the lack of the faith of the people around him. And that's why when he got to that land, he says, God, that's the place I want. He, he picked the ugliest giants. He picked the biggest cities. He picked the hardest place to hit. He, hit he, he, he wanted the cities on the high ground. One thing you know about warfare is if you want the advantage, you take the high ground, not the low ground. So he took the places that had the advantage. So anything hard that he could find, he says, that's what I want to do because I'm going to show all these little guys for the last 40 years I've been telling them how great their God is. I want to show them how an 80-year-old saint is going to go up there and whoop these giants. And that's what he did. Amen? So what was the issue? It was faith. It was faith. So Jesus Christ walked 60 miles to go to this place called Bethabara to be baptized. And that baptism is a symbol of crossing over into the promised land, into the will of God for your life. And I know, uh, I tell you something, the devil hates it. He's hated it from the beginning. As far as Baptists are concerned, you know, when we baptized, uh, you know, you can get saved and everybody's going to leave you alone. But as soon as you identify in a physical and public way to the church of God, that's when the devil throws everything at you. So I usually tell people that just are getting baptized or will be baptized, I said, hey, just be ready. Put yourself on guard because, you know, he didn't give you a hard time about your secret salvation, but he's sure going to give you a hard time about your public declaration. And he wants to take you down in your, in your testimony. He wants to show that you're a failure, just like he did with Israel. But you have to make that decision. I'm crossing over by faith. I'm crossing over by faith. And this is why they would take the stones, you know, um, they would take the stone from the, from the Jordan. We know that they set up 12 on the bottom of the Jordan. Now, those you don't see, are they? You, you, nobody sees those. They're underneath the water. At that point on, when the water covered them, they're gone. So they're not a memorial as such to the people around, but they're your personal memorial knowing that you died to self. And that's what that crossing is. It's a death to self. It's self-denial. And then the second pile of stones they brought to Gilgal. And the word Gilgal means rolling away. And so that word Gilgal is, is re referring to the fact of how the reproach of their faithlessness for the last 40 years 
and the, and the mockery that they made of their God in not trusting him going across, they carried that for 40 years of their life. And now they have this opportunity to go across and finally show that we do believe in God and God is powerful and his promises are true. And they set up that memorial at that place called Gilgal as a memorial of how their faithless life has now been rolled away and the reproach of that. And we're starting anew and we're starting this life by faith. That's what your baptism is. You know, even Jesus, there was a time where the Pharisees were coming up against him and they wanted to kill him prematurely. He actually slipped away. You know where he went? All the way back to Bethabara. He went back to that starting point. Saul, throughout his, throughout his kingship, when he, when he got scared of the armies, you know where he went back to? Gilgal. But it was a problem because at Gilgal, that's where he jumped ahead of God and offered those sacrifices and wouldn't wait for Samuel. So here he had these stones looking at him right in the face, and yet his fear took over. Amen? And that's why the Lord said, that's why Samuel said to him, this day your kingdom will be rent from you. Because you, you no longer are living a life of faith. You're living a life by fear. You're living a life by your pressure. You're not walking the way that God wants you to walk. And so when they crossed over, that memorial was there to help them to understand that we have let go of that last life, of that former life. We are now walking in a life of faith. We're trusting him. Amen. And so when I'm talking to people about baptism, uh, I, I talk about this stuff. You know, I didn't hear this stuff. You know, I had to study this myself, you know, but I, I knew this was right for me. And when I got baptized, I know that is exactly what God wanted for me. He wanted me to say, it's enough of that, your life. You're now crucified with Christ. And the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. And so now you're living by another one's faith, the faith of Christ. And so you take your little puny faith, however big that is, the little mustard seed, and you put it in the faith of Christ and you just keep moving forward. That's how we need to move forward for God. Amen? So that's what baptism is. So I don't know what you believe your baptism is. I know many of you were baptized in this church or maybe in a church of like faith, or maybe you were in a church and I don't know what they taught you. But I'm going to tell you something. This is biblical truth. And this is what your baptism means, you know. And so let's make sure we live up to that. I hope you got your stones piled up, <laughs> you know. That life of reproach is gone. I'm not going back to that. I'm not living that faithless life anymore. I'm walking by faith in the Word of God. I'm walking according to the faith of the Son of God. I'm not going to, you know, uh, backslide. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, it says... Uh, those that draw back, he says, my soul hath no pleasure in them. So you look at Jesus Christ, he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. For without faith, it's impossible to please him. Right? Without faith. And so now he says, if you draw back, my soul has no pleasure in you. No pleasure. Oh, but you don't understand, I'm having a hard time. No pleasure. You don't understand the pressures. No pleasure. You understand that? You got all your excuses in the world. But the Lord says when you draw back from Him, He has no pleasure in your life. Because He keeps looking at His Son. And what His Son did. And what He did for you. So there is no excuse. 
We as the children of God have no excuse. We've made that decision to go forward. We've, we've crossed over. We've set up the, the memorial. Amen? Let's stop drawing back. There's no pleasure in the soul of God towards us when we do that. Let's keep moving forward. Sure, it's going to be scary. Just circle on back to that pile of stones. Amen? Just come back to that. Remind yourself of that day when you made that decision to go forward by faith and you just keep on going and keep on going because there's a lot of battles to fight in the promised land. That's why I say the promised land is not heaven. promised land is the will of God. And the will of God has battles and fights and things that you have to overcome. And you will need to have that memorial set up in your life that you have moved on from a life of faithlessness. And now you are measuring all your giants to God, not to yourself. Amen? I mean, that's good truth about baptism. I wanted you to know that as we go through this particular truth. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I got another point here on the ministration of baptism. I'm not going to go there today, but I will say this. Folks, as a pastor, I always have to examine when someone comes to me and they say, well, I've been baptized here or there or whatever. I examine whether that baptism is authoritative or not. If you've come from a church and you've been baptized in a church that has messed with the gospel, whether they're teaching you can lose it, whether they're teaching whatever about it, they've got a different Christ, whether it's Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, whether it's whatever, or even just a, a, a variant Christian movement that teaches you can lose your salvation. I will not accept that baptism because it's not representing the proper gospel. And it's so important that we, we identify properly. And so you would need to be rebaptized because you didn't have the, uh, the proper ministration of that, the, the proper authority behind your baptism. So not any time someone just puts you in the water, that's going to count. And by the way, if you're truly on your way forward and moving forward to God, you will not have a problem with that. You know, I've had some people, you know, I, you know I'm always t- walking on eggshells when it comes to baptism because it's like, yikes, you know. It's personal to people. It doesn't matter if it was, I remember the one guy, he was, it was personal, he loved the preacher. only problem was it was Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and, and so forth. And so they don't believe he's Jehovah God. And yet to him it was valid because this was the friend, this was the preacher I loved and I meant it when I did it, but, but he was way off base and I had to say I can't do that. He got mad and he just left the church. But folks, you can't start accepting that because the moment I start accepting those kind of baptisms, I'm also putting a stamp on the belief that represents that baptism. And here we are in this, this new church here. We are, we are like four or five years old and we can really have a good start here. We can really keep things pure in this church. I know, I know we're going to make mistakes, but we ought not just go into this stupid, you know. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, just everybody. No, no, folks. I'm not of the mentality that everybody needs to come to Ergy Baptist Church. I, I, I'm not called to build this church. Jesus said he would build it. I just got things that he's asked me to do, and I'm going to do those things. And as I do those things, he builds his church. So he brings the right people in here at the right time. Uh, And I I would really hope that you are those, (laughs) you know, I really do. But all I know is if I would have to come to you and you had a baptism that was not, that had kind of a shaky authority. And I would say, (coughs) as I've evaluated it, as I've prayed about it, 
that I don't believe I could take that. If you were called to come here, and that would be the first thing I'd ask, why are you talking to me? Well, I believe God wants me here. Then I also know that you'd be baptized again too. You dig your heels in on the baptism after you said there's the will of God for you to be here? Something ain't jiving. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, I'm not here to make a, an empire. I'm not here just to build a big church. It just seems to be happening anyways. Like we've been having 130 on Sunday mornings. This morning we had 100 and so forth. But uh, that doesn't, you know, tickle my funny bone. <laughs> I like more Sunday nights. I look at who's here tonight or on Wednesday night. That's what I want to see. Those are the people that are meeting business for God. They're not playing with the things of God. Or they're, they're growing. They're, they're, they've come to a stage where they realize I need to be faithful and I need to continue on in, in coming to the service of God, not just you know, mark it off one time a week. You understand? But folks, we, we have to understand that the Lord will build His church and that's why we, we can't just... And I've seen the mentality in preachers before sometimes. It's like because you don't want to lose somebody or you, 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 know, you, just, you compromise, you drop the... I'm not interested in that, you know? I'm willing to have you mad at me and hate me for the right reason. <laughs> you know, not just because I've you know, got problems, you know? But I'm willing for that to happen. And, and I'd be willing for you to hate me because I'm taking a stand to keep this church pure before the Lord. You understand that? But at the same time, I'm trying to evaluate every situation with wisdom. You know, that's why I don't make a blanket statement. You know, it's easy. Some, you know, sometimes the brighter churches, brighter think they're the only ones, you know, and everybody gets, gets baptized. They want to be a part of this church. And that would be easy. Man, my goodness. I almost say that'd be a great thing to do because then I don't have to worry about having these conversations. But you know what? I'm willing to put up with the conversations. <laughs> I'm willing to deal with every situation, evaluate and, and, and look at these things and go through the funny looks and all that because I just want to make sure that things are done right. Amen. I hope you see that. And I think that if God's called you here and this is what God wants for you, that you will see that. And I think you will also make sure that your baptism is right and you'll also move towards being a member of this church. You know, But that's not something I would ever come to you and make you do. I don't want you to do that. Because if God doesn't want you here, I don't want you here either. Now that's something else, eh? <laughs> but if God wants you here, and in your heart, you know that God wants you here, then you will do what you need to do to get to the place where you'll become that member that is profitable in this church. Amen? And so, I mean, so there, is, there, there are things that will disqualify a baptism. There are. And, you know, I, I don't glory in that fact, and I don't try to, you know, accentuate that in people's lives. But all I know is when it comes down to the membership, uh, I have to be, and I know we don't like the word we're hearing in the politics all the time, but we have to be a gatekeeper of, so, of sorts. Someone's got to be at the gate. Someone's got to say, hey, we can't just open the gate for any old thing. We've got to make sure that as, we're, as Christ is building this church, that we're letting those in that Christ wants here. And uh, you know what? Uh, I will make mistakes. Amen? And we'll talk to the men, and all of us may make mistakes, <laughs> you know? But the fact of the matter is, it's not going to be for the lack of trying or being diligent. Amen. Uh, sometimes I listen to somebody and they, they tell a good story. Later on in their lifestyle, they prove to me that they lied to me. You know, what can I do? I can't read your mind or heart. I have to just take you at your word many times. And sometimes you can pull the wool over the preacher's eyes. Amen. 
But I'm, I'm like, I can't just take responsibility for all of that. Uh, and that's why the Bible says that he knows that after he leaves, grievous wolves shall come in among you. And those that draw away disciples after themselves, there'll be those that have come in the church and <clears throat> they want to be the teacher. They'll, they'll take you aside and have little Bible studies, you know, but don't tell the pastor. <laughs> you know, there's people that do that all the time, you know. But anyways, you know, many times, so the gospel truths have to be kept pure. We know that. Uh, you mess with the gospel, I'm sorry, I don't call that authoritative. Any church that messes with the gospel, I do not grant them or even give them the thought that you have any authority to do anything for God whatsoever because you've left off of the road. You, you have, uh, when the Lord said, preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you all the way, even at the end of the world, amen. He, he's, he's giving us a very distinct order, a commission. And the moment we say, well, yeah, I know he said that, but you know, this is what I believe, we're leaving the road. It's like I always say, when your boss tells you to do something, and then you go and do something else, guess what? You have no authority to do that something else. And if someone would catch you doing that, you can't say, my boss told me to do this, and you have no authority to do it. You're on your own. It's assumed authority. But if I want to say I'm under the authority of my boss, then I'll simply be doing what my boss asked me to do. And that way, if anybody would ask me, hey, I'm just doing what my boss asked me to do, and I'm protected by the authority of my leader. Amen? And so if a church says, well, I believe you can lose your salvation after the Lord made it clear you can't, I'm sorry, they've left the road. They change who Jesus Christ is. I'm sorry, they've left the road. <laughs> they stop doing what the Bible's asked them to do as far as baptizing properly, uh, pouring spring. I'm sorry, you've left the road. There's no authority there. Because when we baptize, we baptize in the name of, in the authority of. Stop in the name of the law, right? In the authority of the law, <clears throat> in the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it has a lot to do with authority when we're baptizing. We can't just pretend it doesn't. There's an authoritative thing going on there. So it matters what kind of baptism you have. Amen? And so the gospel, the baptism, and then the commission. We, we teach you so that you can go out and be soul winners and win, win people to Christ. So if I also decided as a church, well, we're not no longer going to go plant churches what we're going to do is we're going to go build homes. We're going to go feed the, feed the poor. And there is an aspect of feeding the poor within the church. And the, and the Bible tells us that. We ought to not forget the poor. When someone doesn't have enough, we ought to help them. Amen? We will. There's people that you know, send me stuff all, online all the time. Could you help me? And you know, as much as you don't know what they're all about, you know, I want to help them. And we probably will, even if they're taking advantage of us. They've probably got a line of 20 churches giving them all these things. They'll be richer than me at Christmas time. You know, but you know, whatever you feed the poor, but that is not our commission. Our commission is to go forth, preach the gospel, baptize the converts, and then disciple them so they can go preach the gospel, baptize the converts, so that we can teach them so they can go preach the gospel, baptize. It's, it's a circular thing that keeps on going, and that's how the church is functioning. So, if I, as a leader, say I'm not doing this anymore. I'm stopping this. I've left the road. So I'll evaluate that. Why would I take a baptism from someone who's only listening to Jesus? In the name of. Amen? 
And you know what? Why would you want a baptism like that? Why wouldn't you want to identify clearly with a local assembly that's making much of the gospel, the pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is baptized in the way the Bible says to do it, and then has the focus of winning souls to Christ, that's, my friend, what I want to identify with. Amen? And that's where we come from. I, I mean, folks, you need to understand, the church at Corinth, what a mess. But they were a local church. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't go to that church. <laughs> I really wouldn't. I, I'd, I'd go somewhere else. All kinds of crazy stuff going on in that church. But you know what? The Apostle Paul still called them a church. And sometimes there's things, all kinds of problems happening in a church. It doesn't mean that they, they're, they're totally off the mark and that you can no longer be authoritative. But when you mess around with the gospel and the Great Commission, I'm sorry, you've left off from God's plan for the church. You may have to work on your music a little bit and make sure you don't get off in the world. And folks, and even with that sometimes... Sometimes there's some movements that are so identified with worldly, worldly music, it would be good for you to just break off from that and identify properly. Amen? Because that's what's going on today, and that's what I have to deal with in this church, because we have people coming from all different branches of different things, and, you know, and so you've got to say, well, what exactly are we going to authorize here? <laughs> you know, let's keep it pure. So we've got to be careful that it's not about just gaining people i got to be willing to lose people to keep the church right. You know? Not that I want to. Man, I'll, I'll wait forever <laughs> for someone to come to that conclusion. And that's why many times I'll just want people to come and just sit there and just come here for six months or a year or two years and just listen and, and ask yourself, is this what God wants? You know, it's always hard for me. A week after someone comes in the door, they're asking me about church membership, and I'm just like, you're not ready to hear what I got to say. You know what I mean? Take your time. I mean, know what you want. Know that this is the will of God for you. And then, no matter what you have to hear, you're going to say, whatever. This is the will of God. And I remember baptizing some of you, and I, and I hear I'm just walking on eggshells. You know, yikes. You realize you got to be baptized again. Sure, Pastor. I know God wants me here. That, my friend, is what it's all about. That's the place of crossing. With this whole thing where, oh no, I did it. <laughs> then go do it. Where's that heart of submission, that heart of just, if God wants me here, then what is going to keep me from being here? Because if God wants me here, he's not turning around again saying, I don't want you here. He says one thing. <laughs> and so whatever's telling you after the fact to say, no, that's not God. That's the flesh. That's the devil. So I, all I say is this. You need to ask yourself, what does God want for me? And you can ask anybody here. If someone would call me and say, I'm moving to the area that I would like to come to your church. You know what I'd say? All I want for you is to do God's will. You know, there's some preachers out there, they would send money to make sure they come to their church. Not me, man. If you're supposed to be here, I want God to drag you here. <laughs> Amen. I want you to be here because God has you here. Because then it's not about what I've done or what I'm doing to keep you here. You know that you're in the will of God. You're walking with Him. Amen. That's got to be your heart. That's all I want for people, you know. And all I know is if you have that kind of heart to walk with God, 
you will do whatever you need to do to continue that journey. Or we'll end up 40 years in the wilderness. That's what happened. They weren't willing to just go God's way. They let their flesh get in there. Their, their lack of faith and trust. Amen? Anyways, let's bow our heads. And some of these truths are hard to preach. I, I don't want to turn people off at all. You know, if you're considering going forward for the Lord. And I just want you to understand, you know, and I understand that a person just gets saved and they get baptized. They don't know all this stuff and they don't necessarily have to know all of it. But all I know is we're, we're living in a day now where there's so many schisms and divisions out there and, and churches that have church on the sign and, and people don't even know the difference anymore. And it wasn't like that in the first century. In the first century, they knew when they got baptized, they knew who they were identifying with. And they knew the doctrine of the apostles. But now we have to filter through so many erroneous movements. So many false doctrines. You know, so pray about that. Pray for this church. Pray that we can, we can fight to keep this as pure as possible with as least mistakes as possible and that God would bring us the right people to make this church strong so we can make a difference. We can help people, help families, help children have a, have a new start and a good start in this wicked world that we live in. And they'll make good decisions that will glorify the Lord. And I don't know where you are. I know you haven't evaluated who's all here or what your situation is as far as your baptism is concerned. Maybe you need to be baptized. I would just say, listen to God. Don't let me be the one that tells you what to do. You just simply, what does God want me to do? And you follow that. And you do it with all of your heart. And you'll always be safe. You'll always be under His wing. 